This morning, I want to ask you a question that maybe you've dealt with at some point. How good is good enough? Maybe a follow-up to that question is, is how close to the speed limit is close enough or good enough? You with me? I had a moment we had come back from, we were leaving a revival we had been a part of in Tennessee, and it was late, and, and we were on our way home, and on our way back, they, they warned us, said, listen, you're going to go through this this place here in Tennessee that it's, it's kind of like a speed trap, right? The, the speed limits kind of go fast, slow, fast, slow. It's like this rhythm, and you got to really pay attention because they're watching, and I thought, man, it's late at night. We were just trying to get back home to the good old Kentucky, right? Trying to get out of Tennessee as fast as I could. And man, we were trucking through. We were watching speed limits. And before I knew it, the blue light special was on, right? Guy pulls over and he walks up to my door and said, sir, do you, do you realize how fast you were going speed limit? And so I, I made my best guess, right? They always tell you in class, guess, right? I guess. And survey said I was wrong, right? What I assumed was speed limit we were in was not accurate. And guess what? Because of that, I was guilty. Now, the truth is, listen, I mean, whether you, you know the law, you see it and you know it, or you don't, the truth is the law remains, doesn't it? And if you're guilty, you're guilty, some of us, I think we come with maybe similar perspectives. We come to God's Word, and sometimes we're aware of the fact that we're guilty before God, and some of you may not be as aware. Like, you just think maybe it's not as a big deal, or you're just not as familiar with what God expects. Therefore, as we come to the Bible today, I think that maybe there's maybe different approaches, but maybe I'll just put two before you today. Some of you approach God's Word and life and this question of how good is good enough, and you think this, I obey, so I'm accepted. I obey, and because I obey, then God accepts me. Others of you, you may have this thought. You think, well, I'm accepted, so why do I have to obey? Right? Like, I'm accepted, God accepts me. What need is there to obey? And so there's kind of like these two contrasts, right? And you may land somewhere in the middle of that, but likely you're dealing with some of that. You think, well, if I obey and I'm good enough, then that means I'm a good person and God accepts me and my scale will tip in in my favor. And others of you think, well, man, if God accepts me, then it doesn't really matter what I do because that's why Jesus died, right? So it doesn't really matter the way I live. Today, I want to set before you a different idea, the one that Jesus and the text and the Bible sets before us, and it's this. I obey because i'm accepted i obey not to be accepted but i obey because i am accepted up to this point if you've been with us we've been walking through the sermon on the mount right jesus goes up on this mountainside and he begins to teach and matthew records in matthew chapter 5 through 7 this amazing story preaching sermon of jesus and we've been kind of wrestling through that. And, and maybe you've been here. And we've been talking a lot about how Jesus begins with grace. And, and he talks about our need for forgiveness and mercy and to be poor in the spirit and, and mourning over our sin and humbling ourselves. But maybe you wonder, is Jesus getting rid of the law and religion here? Is that what he's doing? And maybe those that were around wondered the same thing. And so Jesus begins now in verse 17 to begin to tell us, how does we understand as people who come to God through Christ, how do we respond to the law? And how might we answer the question, how good is good enough? So look what it is first. This call to fulfill the law, right? This call to fulfill the law is the first thing you're going to see today in the text. Here beginning in Matthew chapter 5. Pick up as you would, beginning in verse 17. Jesus says, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of God. So Jesus starts out, he says, listen, guys, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but what? To fulfill, right? So we have this call immediately to say, listen, there's a call to fulfill. And we ask, well, what's Jesus talking about here when he talks about law and prophets, right? He's using different verbiage just to refer to the Old Testament, right? Law, the prophets kind of encompass all that's there, right? From the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament. And so what Jesus is not doing, he isn't saying, hey, guys, I'm coming on the scene. I have a new religion. Let's just totally scrap the Old Testament and chuck it out. And let's just start all fresh and new as it will be with Matthew on through Revelation. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, in fact, says that, guys, I didn't come, again, to abolish this law or the prophets, right? But I came to fulfill them. This is the reason why I have come, right? This is something I'm doing. This is why, because this is what the Jewish people were called to do. They were called to obey, to fulfill the law. But guess what? No one can do that perfectly. Others of you, listen, I mean, the truth is there's lots of people that more people in the world that weren't Jewish people. They were what was known as Gentiles or other other ethnicities, right? Other groups that didn't have God's word, the Old Testament law. And so you might think, well, what about them? What about people that haven't heard? Right. That's a question that often gets asked right at times. What about people that have never heard? And here's what you need to know is Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of all people. In Romans 1, Paul says that although everyone knows that there is a God, they don't glorify Him or worship Him. Instead, they begin to worship themselves or other things. And so the reality is, the Bible says that everyone knows that there is a God because God has said it in the hearts of all people. But listen, even if you travel to the most remote places upon the face of the earth, you, you encounter some tribe that has little to no contact with the outside world. Here's, here's what you're going to encounter and know is that when someone in that tribe is murdered by someone else in the other tribe, they sit around and say, listen, guys, that's not right, and they retaliate. Why? It's not because they say, did you know that they just broke the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not what? Murder. They don't have that discussion, but they know internally, listen, murder's not right, and there must be accountability for sin. There must be justice. Why? Because God set eternity in the hearts of all people. God has created us in His image and there is something inherent, innate in all of us that recognizes that there must be justice. There are things that are just wrong. But the call for humanity, listen again, Jesus doesn't, he, he says the call for humanity, the call for all of us is to fulfill, not just to be good, but listen, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come to the conclusion of the surface of, of verse 48 of Matthew 5, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. The call is to perfection. Right, And we wonder, like, well, who of us can meet that? Maybe this morning I would just ask you just three questions, right? Uh, A gentleman by the name of Ray Comfort, right? Um, It's called Way of the Master. He he gives a way of sharing the gospel. And maybe I would just let you and I, just imagine you and I are sitting down having a conversation. Just ask you just just these couple questions. Hey, man, it's been great to have an opportunity just to, to talk with you for a moment. And would you consider yourself a good person? Just thinking internally right now. If I asked you that question, would you, would you consider yourself just a, just a good person? Likely you're, you and most people are going to say, yeah. And so I'd say, well, do you mind if I maybe just ask just a question or two just to test to see how good, if you're truly good in God's sight? Sure, okay. So, so here's my first question to you. H- have you ever told a lie before? 
at any point in your life you ever told a lie before? If you did, then and people that tell lies, we call them what? Liars. Have you in your life, at some point, maybe as a child, maybe at a recent, but I mean, you, you stole something, you took something that wasn't yours, right? And if you've done that, right, we, we call people that steal things what? A thief. And then Jesus comes on, and we're going to see it in a couple of weeks, that Jesus says in Matthew 5 that if you've ever looked at another man or woman and lusted after them, he says that you've actually committed adultery in your heart. And we call people that do that an adulterer. It's likely that by your own admission today, you're a liar and a thief and adulterer. And I want to ask you, if God judges you on the day of judgment, just based on those three commandments alone, would you be innocent or guilty? Do you feel the terror, the way of the law? Do you feel the walk, the law crushing down on you even in this moment, realizing there's no way to escape? We're called to fulfill the law, and Jesus has come because none of us have done that. And maybe you're asking, well, Blake, how do I even know that I might be judged by the law? How do you know that God would judge? Listen to what Jesus says there in verse 18. Listen to how he grounds his arguments. Again, he starts with four. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, look what he says here, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Right? The, the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet was the, the, the Yoda. Right? The Hebrew, the Yod. It, it's like a small, almost like a dash, a mark. Like It's super small. And Jesus says to us, listen guys, it's not just simply that like the words of God's, God's word are actually breathed out. It's every letter. Listen, Jesus says, listen, I want you to know that every letter that's in this is from God's own mouth. Listen, Jesus does this amazing moment of just affirming what his belief is of the Old Testament. He says, guys, it's all inspired. It's all breathed out. It's without error in the original form. Listen, it's just this beautiful moment. So if you've ever been tempted to dismiss the Old Testament, you're not following Jesus' teaching. Jesus affirms all of the Old Testament, even down to every letter, saying it's all breathed out by God. And he says, listen, I want you to know that because it's God's word, it will stand forever. And Beloved, this is the word by which you and I will be judged, and we are called to obey this word perfectly. Maybe some of you are here and you think that somehow you maybe just passed the recent conversation that we had. I just want to remind you of this today, secondly. That the law is not what you think. The law is not what you think. So you may have heard that today and thought that you were good somehow. Oh, I haven't done that or I haven't done that, right? I mean, you may have heard that today. But listen to what Jesus does, how he raises the bar. Look what he says in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, the scribes and Pharisees had set the bar high. And Jesus, look what he says, though. Look, notice what he says here about them and their righteousness. Notice he, he's talking about their about righteousness here. He says it has to surpass that, right? They're striving for righteousness, the scribes and the Pharisees. But he says it has to surpass what the scribes and Pharisees' righteousness level is. And he says, listen, guys, it's not that they're not trying to do good. It's that they're not good enough. Like they set the bar high and Jesus just went and took the bar a lot higher. Why? Because listen, he says, guys, you're going to see it in just a moment here as we 
We rotate the screen down a little bit. Look, look what he says here. Because look what he jumps to. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hell fire. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, he says something similar, noting that whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Consider that for a moment, right? Again, Jesus is using this. He's talking about murder. He says anyone that murders is subject to judgment. And then he goes right along and says, guess what? If you are angry with someone else, you also are subject to judgment. He's just taken murder and said that it is equated with anger. Why? Because Jesus hasn't weakened the law. The Pharisees had done that. Why? Because they had made it only about outward. As long as you don't murder outwardly, you're good. And Jesus says, this is the problem. The Father doesn't judge you just on what happens outward, but also on what's happening inward. You see, beloved, the law isn't what you think. It's not just your outward actions that God sees Jesus goes and he unleashes the law here and he allows it like a roaring lion to come breathing down upon us to say that, listen, God not only judges what you're going to do today outwardly, what you've done outwardly, he sees every thought, motive and desire of your heart and mind and he will judge those as well. I don't know of anything else that would cause all of us to come screaming, crying out to the cross and see a God who knows us inwardly who is going to judge us even and sees anger in our hearts as murder. Listen, some of you today, you may still think that you are good enough or you're better for God, better fit for God's kingdom because you haven't murdered anyone. But again, that's just assuming that God's only going to judge you outwardly. He also judges us inwardly. Listen, one of the things about my dad is my dad loved old cars, man. He just, he just loved old cars. And, and, and sometimes he, he would get some old clunkers, Right. And I'll never forget a day he pulled up at high school and to pick me up and he pulled up in this this clunker, man. I was just all my buddies were out there, dude. And I was so embarrassed. Shame, man. And uh, now it's kind of like um, the car. You ever heard that song? Man, I would love for my dad to pull up again in that car. Um, some of you are embarrassed about your parents, grandparents. One day you're going to look back probably and regret that. So if I could say that to you young people today. I know it may be hurting your swag, your street credit now. One day, you're going to wish your mom or dad would pull back up, or grandma or grandpa would pull back up. But anyway, so my dad, it was, I was young as a kid, and I remember it was, like, I think it was a Saturday afternoon, and I'd been hearing dad talk about this car, and, and so, man, we took off down the road to go get the car, me, mom, and dad, and I'm riding. I'll never forget there, pulling up, and, and we see this car sitting there, this 1967 Chevy Supernova Super Sport. Right, and so I we jump in, the, I jump in the back seat, and and Dad starts it up, and I'm like, well, man, that's cool, right? It's kind of this old car, it's leathery, right, and kind of just got this little bit of rumble to it, right? And so I'm like, man, it's all right, but it's okay. And we pull out on the road, man, and we come to that first like big hill, and all of a sudden my dad puts that baby down, and it drives me in the seat. It's like, boom! Some of you been there, right? You been those cars that just Right, some of you are like, that's how they used to make them. They don't make them like that anymore. I'm with you, right? I hear you. I hear you, right? Some of you, I'm speaking your love language this morning, right? 
And man, when we hit that first big hill, that engine like came to life. That baby started roaring. I can't hear anybody talking in the front seat. I can't hear myself think. Right? Just right. And, and my dad's doing what he said they did back in the old days. It's called burying the hand, and that's like old language for you make the, the speedometer go so far to the right that it disappears. He wasn't doing that. All right, but we were headed that direction. You with me? Right? It's not good. I'm not advocating that. I'm just telling. It's just again. Right. So I got to watch myself here. But nonetheless, right, I've got his grandchildren over here. They're hearing this thing. And that's what I want to do. Be like, granddaddy, no. But listen, from that moment, I was fascinated with that car. Still am to today. Just the power that unleashed under that hood and that first big hill. I share that story because I found that my sin is a lot like that. It kind of hangs out under the hood. And most of the times right, I can keep that baby in check. But man, there comes some moments when some hills start to hit in my life. Right? Somebody messing with me in traffic. Come on. I got one of my buddies I play a lot of ball with. Somebody does me wrong on the ball court. It's like it's on like Donkey Kong. Right? Some of you, right, you're in standing line and so and so. She just cut in front of me, right? Like, I mean, like, all of a sudden it's like, right? Come on. Right? I mean, you, you've had some bigger heels, though, than that, haven't you? Somebody talk bad about you or talk bad about one of your babies, your family, right? Ooh, don't talk about my mama, right? You start to feel it under the hood, don't you? You have those moments, right? I mean, just where that person seemingly that's less qualified than you gets the job over you, gets the advancement over you because maybe their last name is so-and-so or their mama or daddy does this or gave that or did that. And you start to, you feel it under that hood. Some of you got a spouse that you think ought to meet your needs better than they do. They don't meet your needs. And it doesn't take long for that little engine under the hood to start warming up. You're like, two can play at that game. Right, let some heels collide with your life. You may think you've got the engine under control today, but man, when you start to hit those heels in life, that engine that's under the hood that you've been trying to keep in check, that you might keep in check in the church or out in public, but underneath, man, that hood, that baby, that engine starts colliding with us right in. And it can get so loud that you can't hear other people trying to speak truth in your life. You can't hear the Scriptures colliding with your life. We all have moments when, again, we think that engine under our hood is under control. Guess what? The Pharisees thought the same exact thing. They thought they could obey the law outwardly and they're good. And Jesus says, listen, it's not just outward. You've got to deal with the engine under the hood. You've got to deal with this engine under the hood. And none of us, listen, guys, none of us are good enough to do that. Listen to what Jesus says. Watch what happens. Verse 22. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he starts to say, listen, God, there's an issue of anger. And then he says, whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool. That is a way of saying someone's an idiot or, or they have, have no moral character, right? You begin to attack their character. You begin to insult them. You begin to say vicious things about them. will be subject to hellfire. And listen, Emily and I were recently at a conference and a guy was talking about the fact that we air fight with people. And we're like, air fight? What are you talking about? It's like when you and so-and-so have an issue, maybe it's your spouse or somebody at work or somebody in the church or somebody in the community, right? And you start imagining in your mind that you're going to have this like argument with them, right? You're like playing the argument out. You ever done that? Right? It's why? Because the engine's purring. The engine's purring, beloved. Right? And I mean, since that day, Emlyn is like, we're talking like, man, we're air fighting, right? I mean, like, it's just, 
continually, right? We begin to have this moment in which, again, God's word says to us, listen, anger and murder, it's roaring in your heart. Why? Listen, guys, we're called to obey this perfectly. The law of the Lord is perfect. Paul says it's holy, righteous, and good. And if you are not perfect, beloved, hear this. You cannot be saved by the law. But praise... Did you hear our choir this morning? Come on, choir. Bring it. I'm liking some of that. Amen. Did you hear some of the songs of our praise team, our choirs? We were singing in worship today. Behold our God, seated on His throne. Come let us adore. You say, why would I do that? Because there's a law that you will never be good enough to meet. And yet God in His grace sent His Son, Jesus, to fulfill the law on your behalf. Hallelujah. Do you see it now? Like You're like, give that to me. I need that Savior. I need this hope. Wow, look what he says. Look what he says here. Verse 17 again. Don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Finally, beloved, there is a rescuer. Finally, there is a law fulfiller. Finally, there is one who will hear and obey the prophets. Now listen, as we began our study several weeks ago here in Matthew chapter 5, we said, listen, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We said, listen, that's the key. If you want to understand what Jesus is going to to call you to do throughout Matthew 5 through 7, unless it becomes, okay, I need to obey, so I'm accepted. No, Matthew 5 and 3 says, listen, begin by realizing that you are spiritually bankrupt and have nothing to offer to God. And you come to Him just as you are And you are accepted by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so therefore, because I'm accepted, right? I obey because I'm accepted. It's this unbelievable moment of Jesus fulfilling the law for us. And and you might think of the law, right? And you might be saying, I'm not sure if I'm real familiar with the law. Maybe this is a helpful division. It may not be for some of you, but for some of you it may fit. right? Think about three different divisions of the law. Right? There's the moral law. And so you think Ten Commandments, right? And so thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt not do this, and have no other gods before me, right? You hear this. There was also the ceremonial law, right? There's a sacrificial system, and there was certain days and feasts that were to be kept. There was also the civil law, right? So there's a moral law, a ceremonial law, and a civil law, right? The civil law says there's cities of refuge and, and you would flee to and there was stoning for certain offenses. But Jesus coming, look what it does again. He fulfills all of the law and the prophets. So we need to ask, well, what's that mean for me now? If, right, if I'm in Christ and we're going there just in a moment. So what remains applicable to me? And it's specifically this, the moral law. And you say, well, what happened like to the ceremonial law? That, like there's these requirements of animal sacrifices. It's not that that law has now like ceased to exist. It's just that there's no animal sacrifice that can do what the perfect sacrifice has done. If you want more on this, just write down today and go home and read Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 18. Really, the entirety of Hebrews is dealing with it, but you need to see and realize, listen, it's not that these laws are just somehow passed away. It's that finally someone has come and fulfilled them completely, totally, perfectly in his once and for all sacrifice. But you're asking, Blake, well, listen, if he fulfills the law, then what's that got to do with me? How can that be transferred to me? Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, beginning verse 20. For no one, listen to that again, no one. No boy, no girl, no grandmother, no grandfather, no friend, no neighbor. No one will be justified 
in his sight by what? The works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes to the law. Listen, imagine this, right? You go out today and you drink and drive. Right? You go to the court and they bring back the toxicology reports and it gives the fact that, hey, listen, here's your blood alcohol content level. Other people have testified they were with you earlier that day and saw you drinking, right? The officers on the scene come back and share maybe breathalyzers, different things. And, and the moment before, the judgment is rendered, right? You speak to the judge, say, listen, judge, I, I, all those things are accurate, but here's what I want you to know. I've always driven a vehicle with the highest emission standards. I have not jaywalked one time, not once, judge, since third grade. And you go and ask them at the school, three years running, I am president of the PTO. Great. But as you're sitting there and your vehicle's been ruined by the accident with the drunk driver and your family's been hurt, you're saying, oh, that's awesome and good, but that doesn't do anything to destruction. How does that repair what's happened to me? And so it is with your and my sin, beloved. Our sin is an attack and a destruction toward the glory and holiness and perfection of the only true God. There's no good works that can make up for that. And so Paul says, listen, no one will be justified in his sight by works of the law. So how's it happen? Look what he says, verse 21 of Romans 3. But now, oh man, what a, what a moment just to breathe. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed as attested, look what he says there, by the law and the prophets. Back again there in Matthew 5. The righteousness of God. So again, we're dealing with God's righteousness. Notice what he says here. It is through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. To whom? All who believe. What a beautiful moment. The hope of being reconciled, of receiving the righteousness of God. It is not by work that you can be accepted before God. It is only God's righteousness comes to you and I through faith in Christ Jesus. Why? Because He's the one that fulfilled the law. Do you see it? He fulfills it on your behalf. And God, through faith and trust and repentance and belief, hope in Christ alone, Christ's sacrifice is now credited to your account. That's good news. That is great news today. Listen, this is unbelievable. There's no 12-step program. There's no perfect prayer. There's no trip to take. There's no number of Bible verses to memorize. It is faith and belief in the Son of God who obeyed the law perfectly and stands before God who dies on the cross, who bears the wrath of God, who bears the judgment of God, who bears the anger of God towards sin on His own Son and Beloved. If you repent and believe, it's credited to you. He pays your debt. Whether you knew, again, whether law, whether you knew it or not, the Word of God is true. And it's just this beautiful moment. As verse 24 says, they're justified freely by His grace. It is by grace, Beloved. It's an unbelievable moment of God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's by grace. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther said, All the prophets foresaw, foresaw that on the cross Jesus became the greatest murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, and blasphemer that there ever was. Our most merciful Father sent His only Son in the world and said to Him, Jesus, You will become Peter the denier. You will become Paul the Paul that persecutor, blasphemer, 
and cruel oppressor. You will become David, that adulterer. You will become Adam, that sinner which did eat the apple in paradise. As J.D. Greer says, you will become the husband who has neglected or abused his family. You'll become the immoral woman who has split up another marriage. You'll become the drug addict. You'll become the teenage girl lying to her parents. You'll become the church member cheating on their taxes. Beloved, this is why we sing, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. I don't need anything else, beloved. That's the only hope for my soul. He's the only rescue of sin. It's Him. Guys, the law demands perfection and you can't obey good enough to be accepted. It's never about. You'll never be good enough. Neither, listen, now can you live any way you want because that would discredit and make a mockery of His fulfillment and His sacrifice in your place. So in light of Christ fulfilling the law for me, now I come and say, I obey because I am accepted. I obey because I am accepted. Paul writes about this in Romans 8. He says in verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. What a good moment. But listen, Paul doesn't stop there. Look at this, he says, Because the law the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do. This is something the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh. Our sinful flesh. Listen, we can never obey the law well enough. We're sinners. What the law couldn't do, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that, right, here's what, what, here's what God's moving to. In order that, the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us. And then look what Paul says. Who, there's a way that we do not walk. We don't walk according to the flesh anymore, but now we walk what? According to the Spirit. Because of what He's done, Paul says that we now live differently. Because I'm accepted, I obey. Not to be accepted. Listen, this is the very thing that, that, again, we have moments when all of us hear this today, and even as believers, our hearts struggle, right? Our engines roar. But Jesus, listen, he, he comes and He does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so now as we come here to Matthew 5 again, listen to how this lands on your life in verse 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember, right, something begins to come to your remembrance. It's this, that your brother or sister has, look what it says here, something against you. So you've harmed someone. You've done wrong to someone. Listen to what Jesus says again in response to the fact that you have been forgiven and He's fulfilled the law on your behalf. Look what you are, how you are to live. Listen, brothers and sisters. Listen, moms and dads. Listen, church members. Listen, people of God. Listen to what He says. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. So we leave it. And then here's our response. We go to be reconciled with your brother or sister and then Come and offer your gift. In verse 25 and 26, we don't have time today, but He compels us to do this quickly. To not wait, to, to seek it without delay. In a moment, listen, we're going to be coming and giving our offering here. But don't listen, God says, don't come and give that offering when you have another brother or sister at odds with one another. He says, listen, guys, if they have something against you, if, they, if you have done something wrong, go to them. You say, well, well Blake, look, what if... What if it's what if they've done something to me, but they haven't come? Well, Matthew 18 says that you're to go to them. You see it. The person that's done wrong is seeking reconciliation. The person that feels offended is seeking reconciliation. They're both striving to be one because that's why I came. 
We might be one. So I, I wonder today, who in this church are you at odds with? Maybe it's the spouse sitting next to you. Maybe it's your parents down the road. Maybe it's another person in the church you've come to despise. Beloved, we are praying and longing for revival, but it begins here and now with us. Responding in obedience to the Word of God, beloved. You might be wondering, well, well, Blake, does this mean that I should never be angry? No, it's not saying that. Right again, you've got to read all the Scripture together. But in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 to 13, Jesus goes in the temple and He's angry, He's upset. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. Some of you, listen, you're giving the devil a foothold because you are holding on to that anger and bitterness. So you say, well, Blake, how might this look? Maybe here's the first step in the right direction. If somebody's hurt you and they come to you or you go to them, the offended person needs to name the sin as sin. Don't exaggerate it, but don't deny it. This isn't simply saying I got my feelings hurt, right? This is saying something you've contradicted the word of God and it's created an issue in our relationship. Pastor Ray Ortland in Nashville offers this path forward. He says, maybe you would go and say, brother, here in this verse, God says, but the other day you said or did. I don't see how your, 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 your behavior, your actions, your words line up with scripture. I'm troubled by this. I long to trust you and think well of you, but this has been so hard for me. I encourage you to consider what you did. Notice it isn't vague, it's not beating around the bush, but it's also, I pray, from a place of love. Why? Because we ourselves know that we are soon also going to need mercy and grace. You with me? A heart that knows well its own tendency to hurt and wrong others. Furthermore, listen, you need to guard against, and I need to guard against things, things like you are just like your mother. That goes well, doesn't it? You are just like your dad, right? I mean, you're just like your family. That, listen, I mean, that's like a, throwing a nuke in your, in your relationship. Not good. Guard against words like always, like you always get mad or you always leave the toilet seat up, right? I mean, like it just starts to create serious tension, right? Guard against words like never, like you never let me go with my friends, right? You never, like, I mean, we just got to guard. Why? Because we need to focus in on that specific behavior. Ultimately, only God knows their heart. So the offender, listen, if someone comes to you, you might say something like, you're right. Maybe I didn't see it that way in the moment or I was really upset. But I, I see now that the way that I acted according to the Bible is wrong. I'm sorry. Is there maybe anything I can do to make a positive difference? Listen, if they repent, beloved, forgive immediately. If they don't repent, it makes reconciliation hard. Some of you are holding bitterness towards someone. It is creating major conflict in your relationships. It's time to forgive. To the best of your ability, as Paul says in Romans, live at peace with everyone. But listen, I want you to know here's what's hard. Even if they do repent and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? It doesn't wash away all the sleepless nights that you've dealt with. It doesn't take away all the brokenness in relationships and other gossip and other things that have happened because of the result of that. So I want you to know, listen, that I'm sorry can never, ever fully repair you. It can't ever fix everything. But love it. Listen, that's why only the cross and the resurrection that makes all unforgivable things forgivable. It's only the cross and the resurrection that makes all the broken relationships repairable. It's only the cross and the resurrection that God uses your suffering to better help you comfort others in the midst of their suffering. So, beloved, some of you today, by the grace of God, it is time, as Jesus said, to leave your gift and go and be reconciled.
You need to go today, now. Some of you, even even as we stand to sing in a moment, maybe you, you need to go and you need to seek reconciliation. What a beautiful thing if you left church, you and your spouse reconcile. What if you left church today saying, me and mom finally got right? What if you left church today saying, that church member that I've despised for the last ten years that I can't even look at when I walk down the hallway, we got right? I'd say, beloved, we're seeking after revival. Others of you, you need to realize first and foremost that your greatest offense is against a holy God and you will never be good enough. Today, you can either walk out of here trying to be good enough or you can let His good enough, His sufficiency, be your sufficiency. Today, would you repent and believe confessing the name of Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation? Beloved, I leave you with this. Forgiven people forgive others. Forgiven people forgive others. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the day. Father, I pray. God, I know that in this room there is brokenness. Father, I know that there are some deep hurts. That the reality is, God, that those relationships may never be repaired on this earth. There may be relationships where things happen to people in this room that those people have now died. God, there's no way necessarily. I pray, Father God, for the hurt that is in this room. For the evil things that have been done to us or people we love and care about. I pray, God, truly that we will seek forgiveness and reconciliation, Lord. I pray for healing and unity in our homes and our marriages. Father, I pray for healing and unity in this church body, Father. I pray for healing and unity in our community amongst the great divide even in our nation, O Lord. Father, please, it is only by the power of Your Spirit, Lord. Father, today, open our eyes to show us how much we have been forgiven and to know that forgiven people forgive others. God, we need more grace to do this. Help us, Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.